the disciplined life of less, we're able to focus on the essential. In today's episode of Jen M Weekly, we're going to be exploring the core parts of essentialism. We're going to look at why we often feel overwhelmed with conflicting priorities, how consumerism is eating away at our mental health, and what we can do to readdress the balance to create a more focused life. As always, I'd love to hear your stories and get your feedback on essentialism and what it means to you. And you can stay up to date with all things Gen M by following us on Instagram at genm underscore weekly. And it'd be amazing if you could subscribe and just share this episode with one person that you think needs to hear it. So without further ado, my name is Amir Hafid and this is Coming to Terms with the Essentialist Mindset. Do you ever get that anxious feeling in the pit of your stomach? Like, not butterflies, the other one. You know the one where you can barely concentrate on the one thing you're supposed to be doing because you're overwhelmed by all the other jobs that are hanging over your head? Now I get that, a lot. And I've actually found it to be quite debilitating in some ways because I end up in this paralysis of neither doing what I'm supposed to be doing or changing my focus to something else. You know, it becomes this real half-assed state of affairs where nothing actually gets done with any conviction. And I used to tell myself that the real issue was time management, but I was just making excuses because I'm a world-class procrastinator. And on reflection, it was actually more than that. I came to realise that the nature of my job and the state of my home life at the time meant that conflicting priorities were constantly getting in the way of each other and I was struggling to nail down what I deemed was essential and what wasn't. So last year I decided to put the issue to bed like once and for all Uh, and it was actually a podcast, I think it was Creative Pep Talk, which is really good, that referenced the book that I eventually took inspiration from. So the book was called um, Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less by Greg McEwan. And to summarise this book, he talks about applying a more selective criteria for what is essential, where the pursuit of less allows us to regain control of our own choices so we can channel our time, energy and effort into making the highest possible contribution towards the goals and activities that matter to us. So, brilliant, right up my street, I thought. Fantastic. Now... At the beginning of the book, he gives this really interesting example um, where he explains how not following an essentialist mindset can land you in the kind of trouble that I'd been getting myself into. So the story goes like this. His wife had just given birth to their first kid and he was in the hospital at her bedside. And this guy, Greg, gets a call from a high-value client who says that they wanted a meeting. Now, at that moment, he knew instinctively that he should be there for his wife and his newborn baby, but he didn't want to make the client feel like he didn't value or prioritise their relationship, which I can understand. 
So he ends up going to the meeting where the client asks him what he's been up to, of course, and he tells him that his wife has just had a baby. But instead of getting a favourable reaction, the client just looks at him and asks him what the hell he's doing at the meeting then. Now, Greg says in the book that he said yes to the meeting to please. But in doing so and not prioritising, he hurt his family, he hurt his integrity and eventually the client relationship. Now, a lot of what Greg said in the book appealed to me on a, on a deep level. But I wanted to interpret it in my own way. So I decided to use the principles of what essentialism stood for and turn it into something that I could implement in my day-to-day life. Now what I found was that a lot of what he was saying about essentialism was linked to another area that I've been looking into for a while, which is minimalism. And after reading upon both those subjects, I realised that they were actually talking about the same principle, but just coming at it from different angles. You see, they both advocate a disciplined life of less. Now, why does this matter? So we look at it and we say, in today's world, we have been sold this idea that more is better. More money, more friends, more cars, more clothes. The list goes on, yeah? The reason why pursuing less should be classed as a discipline is because we now live in this age, especially in Western society, where we have an overabundance of options and opportunities. You know, technically speaking, with time and effort, obviously, I've got the resources to learn anything I want, make as much money as I want, and have as many connections as I want. But there is a question that we, I feel that we rarely ask of ourselves. And I think we don't ask ourselves this because we're not conditioned to do that in this society. And that is, does the attainment, the achievement of the want, when we get it, does that equal an increase in satisfaction? Will that allow us to live a more happier and fulfilled life if you got the thing that you've wanted? So we're going to discuss this and look into it now. You know, we hear stories of lottery winners that develop uh, an array of mental health issues after getting all the money that they've ever wanted. And we listen to business influencers telling us to hustle at the expense of our relationships or other areas of our lives. And we all know people on social media that link their happiness and success to the number of connections and likes that they get. You know, I'm guilty of this. We all are. This is an inadequate and it's an unsustainable model for our mental health that was birthed into existence because society told us it's okay to say yes to abundance. Now, look, before you jump to any conclusions, do not, you know, don't think for a minute that I am dismissing the desire and ambition to create a better life for ourselves and the people that we love, you know, absolutely not. What I'm saying here is that because we're living in such an abundant world, we need to stop and think about what it is that really feeds our personalities and enriches our lives and 
something that's going to allow us to create long-term satisfaction, not momentary pleasure. Because when we do break it down, that's what wants are. They are superficial. You know, we can always want more. And we're encouraged to want more. But what do we really need? So for me, uh, it comes down to these two factors. I think it comes down to authenticity and focus. So by practicing authenticity, it would mean that you're living in a way that allows you to show up to the world in a way that feels natural and real to you. By pursuing goals and ambitions that are in line with your values and your innate skill set. So to illustrate, I went to uni when I was younger because <clears throat> all my friends did and my parents wanted me to do that as well so I just went with the flow. There was no rhyme or reason, um, I just went with it. You know, that was the dumb thing in those days, in the uh, sort of early 2000s. Now, did I admit the most out of uni? No. Was I comfortable doing an academic course when I'm more of a hands-on person? Probably not. I actually think that I got more out of my part-time job at uni than I ever did in my academic studies. You know, and, and therein lies the problem. Because had I been taught to follow my authentic self, you know, the internal drivers that are unique to me, I'd be more empowered to concentrate on those strengths and double down on them. Instead, I just flitted around like, uh, you know, the jack of all trades. The second thing you want to look at uh, is focus. So if we are living a more authentic life, it will give us the ability to focus. So we're constantly bombarded with market employees telling us to look here, buy this, download that. And you know what? Like, I actually don't blame them. Like, that's their job at the end of the day. Because a marketeer's job is to get your attention and convert that into a monetary value for the organisation. Like, that's their sole purpose, you know? Without that, they wouldn't exist. You know, in um, when I was studying business, they taught us this AIDA concept. A-I-D-A. So what they do is, they first need to create awareness, which is A, to build interest, I, in their goods and services, to elicit a desire, which is D, or that's the want from the customers, which should then result in an action, A, which is getting them to do what it is that you want them to do. So you see, the problem arrives for us, the individuals, when we inevitably lose focus and we get distracted by shiny object syndrome or FOMO sometimes, fear of missing out. And you see a good marketeer understands human psychology and they'll do everything that they can to bend your ear and get you to look in their direction. You know? Think of examples like this. You can see those Gillette ones or any of those new uh, you know, razor adverts. They might say something like this, hey you, you know, check out this new mind-blowing five-blade razor that does the exact same job as yours at home, but it'll make you look and feel like this hot guy in the advert. So what I'm saying here is that if we were more authentic and focused, we would actually be less susceptible to getting our heads turned by the non-essentials. You don't need another bloody razor. 
Yeah. So that leads me nicely on to my second point, and it's an issue that I've got with the way society is going in general. So for a long time now, I have had a bit of an issue with the way our culture orientates itself towards consumerism. And if you don't know what that means, you know, just check it on Google, but a quick Google search defines it as a social and economic order that encourages the acquisition of goods and services in ever-increasing amounts. You know, <laughs> I love that. Like, at least it's straight up about it. You can understand that. You know, a social order, not just economic. Acquiring things in ever-increasing amounts. So think to yourself, Primark splash-outs, you know, in the extreme, and you, you'll get the picture. So that's, uh, that's why I say, you know, to what end? You know, when, when do I get to feel satisfied and fulfilled for longer than five bloody minutes? What happens when they bring out the next razor in the production line? Am I just back to square one again? Do I need to buy the next amazing razor with the gel at the bottom and it's got another another blade on it? What What is this? Is it just a continuous cycle of self-loathing dissatisfaction without us even realising and it's without us even realising because it's, it's happening to us on a subconscious level now in the main this cycle of dissatisfaction is why last year I decided to make the conscious decision to start living a more value oriented life and after doing some reading requires the two things that I've been banging on about authenticity and focus so with that in mind allow me to share with you what essentialism has taught me to do on a practical level now and I've broken it down into these uh, three new rules for life for me anyway the first thing was to take a new perspective on the word no so I learned that by saying no to someone we're saying no to the request, not to the person. So we can slip into thinking that the rejection of the request means that we're rejecting the person. But we need to realise that saying no doesn't need to damage the relationship. In fact, it can actually strengthen it if we come across in a sincere and authentic way by articulating our priorities and we have conviction in maintaining them. Because people respect that, and they might even be inspired by it. And we also need to remember that everyone is selling something, like we've just said before in terms of marketing. And we're feeling this constant guilt by saying no to things. Now that guilt actually comes from a time when we were hunters and gatherers living in tribes. Now in those times, if we felt social discomfort, it meant that we were being close to being kicked out of the tribe, which ultimately meant death. So it's important to remember in the modern age, it's okay to say no. And it's actually essential to say no. Otherwise, we're going to die another type of death. The death of burnout or resentment in this case. The second thing you want to look at is to create essential habits. So we need to adopt 
new habits to stop the non-essentials from creeping back into our life. So good habits like keeping a journal or a diary with our new discoveries will help us gain some perspective. It'll help us notice patterns in the way we feel or behave in certain situations and it'll help us refocus our priorities instead of just going along with the status quo. So for example, I've been writing articles on self-development for years to like organise my own thoughts, but it's, it's only now that I've read up on essentialism that I've actually become conscious as to why I was doing that in the first place and the benefits that it was giving me. The second habit we need to utilise more often is something uh, Greg calls the awkward pause. So instead of saying, uh, yeah, no worries to somebody automatically, we need to just pause for like three or four seconds longer. And what that does is that it tells the other person that you're seriously considering their suggestion. But it'll also help you consider the concessions that you'd be making by saying yes at that moment. And if you're saying yes to the person's suggestion, what are you saying no to? It's important to be cognizant of that. The third thing, and finally, is to protect the essentials. So to ensure our priorities remain our priorities, we need to make space within our day to strengthen our ability to be selective and to recognise the concessions that we're making by choosing certain actions. Firstly, we need to reserve time to think, to allow us to differentiate between all those options we've got. So sometimes just giving ourselves 10 or 15 minutes of reflection before bed or between meetings will give us the ability to be conscious about what we could be saying no to and what we should be saying no to. The other thing we need to protect is our play actually and our downtime so there was this study of over 6,000 people in America that found that an appropriate amount of play time in the day led to an increase in brain plasticity um, adaptability in the, in the individual and creativity so finally I just want you to remember that those techniques that we've just discussed, those three techniques, um, are so important in removing all that mental clutter that you've built up over the years. The essentialist uh, mindset is really a great way to, to stop the non-essentials from creeping in and dictating our desires like we own something. We don't. And our desires should come from a place of authenticity and rationale. And if they aren't, we're doing ourselves a disservice by prolonging the indictment. So let's reorganise our priorities, focus on the essential and not look back. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode on essentialism. I hope that has brought some value to your life. Um, Last week, I started posting key takeaways for each episode uh, on Instagram, on the Instagram page at JNM underscore weekly, and I have put some reflection exercises on there as well. So there are uh, three questions that you might want to ask yourselves 
and I'm calling it five minutes of reflection. So head over to the Insta page and uh, let's, let's interact on there. Uh, yeah, and just remember that knowledge is having the right answer, but intelligence is asking the right question. And we're going to be trying to do just that on the next episode of Gen M Weekly. Thank you.